Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo. In this episode, we have Sam Renat. Sam is the founder of the Renat Group, a sports business consulting agency helping companies optimize for better overall performance. He's a lawyer by trade who spent time as an NFL agent. But most importantly, he is one of the leading individuals behind one of the top sports business law programs in all of the United States, the Arizona State University Sports Business Law Program. That's actually how I met him. He was one of my professors. And, you know, going through the motions, you know, sometimes me, I'm just going to admit it. I was just trying to get through the class, make sure I got my degree. But Sam uh, was different, and I ended up like looking him up for some reason. And I was like, oh, this guy's like the real deal. So ever since then, I've been able to coordinate with him, develop a relationship, and I figured I would get him on the podcast. It's an honor and a privilege to have him on. I'm always learning so much from him. Obviously, I was able to be in his class and learn so much about sports business, sports biz law, and how I can apply it to what I want to do. He has so much practical advice, you know, not only for athletes, but for people that want to get in the sports business space. So I suggest you listen up. I suggest you get a notepad and a pen um, to write down a lot of the things we were able to discuss. With that being said, check out the episode. Uh, thank you for joining us, Sam. Really appreciate you making the time. Fortunately, it was so random how we met. After like looking at your story, you've been everywhere in the sports business. You've been everywhere around the, the, the states. Can you talk to how you got to where you are now? Oh, man, this is a long story. I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I feel like my story is boring. The rest of the stuff that's going on gets a little bit more fun. Um, we'll go back to college. So I chose, like a lot of people, I chose college based on uh, athletics performance. I happened to see on TV taking Virginia Tech to the national championship game, um, watched him go up against Florida State and almost single-handedly win that game. And just like every school that appears in a national championship, admissions applications just fly through the roof, right? You see this, just there's this excitement. And at that point, like I grew up playing sports, but I had no idea really what kind of impact they have on people. Like I knew what I felt about it, but I didn't realize just how much reach that it had and what it could do. And then seeing the excitement that that generated, it made me, among a bunch of other things, choose Virginia Tech. And once I got there, I was kind of floundering like most people do. Um, my roommate actually got a job with the athletic department and encouraged me to try to do the same. And so I worked in sports information there, um, which now for the most part has been rebranded as uh, like media relations or, or some other communications department. Um, so that was my start. Still had no clue what I wanted to do. I loved writing. Um, I was big. I was an English major, which was dumb at a tech school, but <laughs> made it work. Um, I got out and was, again, just sort of, just felt like I didn't know what I was meant to do. So I took a bunch of odd jobs. I was, I was working in a restaurant to pay the bills. Um, I was writing for a, a local newspaper covering high school sports as a stringer. Um, the same roommate that encouraged me to get a job in the athletic department had actually landed me a position with his company. Um, called DV Sport. And so I was working with them to help set up Instant Replay, which was brand new to college football at that time. Um, so I got to travel every Saturday to different college football games and make sure their Instant Replay system was working. Did that for like three years. Um, and still, again, like the theme throughout all of this is I didn't know where I was going. Um, I knew I was developing a lot of different skills. Um, and on a whim, I was like, you know what? I've always loved arguing. My dad was a lawyer. Um, <laughs> Love sports. No, I'm not going to play at any high level, um, but I'll do them recreationally. But what can I do to get into sports, argue with people, and make a difference? And so just for no reason at all, I was like, oh, all right, let's be an agent. That way I can work with all the players, 
I can do all the things that I would have done had I been a player, but using other people to, to reach that platform and to achieve that. So I thought, all right, if I'm going to be an agent, I got to go to law school. I chose Arizona State for a lot of reasons, um, but the first and, first and sort of foremost was that they were situated in a market in Phoenix where you have every major sport represented. Everybody goes there in the off season. You've got training that goes on year round, training facilities in the world um, for sports. You have spring training, you've got golf coming, you have NASCAR coming. It literally has everything um, you could ever want. On top of that, it's a metropolitan area of about 6 million people. And at that time, there was only one accredited law school within 100 miles. And so for me, it just screamed, not only is the job market going to be great when I get out. And mind you, I was going in, this was 2008. So the recession was kind of bubbling at that point. So for me, it was, all right, here's a three-year plan to develop some serious life skills and professional skills and then come out of it once the recession is over. Um, so I chose it. I got a, on a side note, this is one of the things that I always teach people um, when we're talking about sort of personal and professional development. On my application response, I got a handwritten note from the Dean of Admissions talking about how excited they were for me to come in and do some of the things that I had talked about wanting to do. And that's the only time that that happened. Everything else that I got from other law schools were, you know, boilerplate typed up letters, but yeah. this Dean of Admissions happened to write me a note um, in pen and ink and, and I loved it and I committed on the spot. So I went there, my two goals at that point were one, uh, to pursue my dream of becoming an NFL agent. Um, I pretended I knew what that meant, but I really didn't. And my other goal was to build a sports law program at Arizona State. Um, they didn't have really any sports law offerings to speak of. There was one course taught every other semester by a, a, um, what we called then adjuncts, which are now faculty associates. This was a, a prof an attorney in the community who had done some sports law work in his career. Um, very highly respected guy um, and had a lot of knowledge. So those are my goals. I didn't know what I was doing, but I went in, kind of talked it up and, and figured it out. We like to call it now building the plane in the air. Um, so I came up with a plan, recruited a bunch of students um, who were like-minded and had similar goals and interests, some more focused on entertainment, some more focused on sports. And we crafted this sort of three-pronged plan to make ASU's law school the best in sports and entertainment. Um, didn't know what we were up against at that time. You know, we'd done research, but you only know, you know, if you're reading ratings online, you don't know what that actually means in the community. There's no practical uh, uh, translation there that you understand as a first year law student. So the first step was to create a sports and entertainment law journal. It was the first of its kind. And we launched that my second year of law school. Um, and that was 2009, 2010. And it is still to this day in publication, which I'm very proud of. Um, the second part was to start bringing in more faculty members to create a certificate program. Um, so we wanted to recruit a bunch of sports lawyers in the area to come in and teach law classes that covered sports agency and antitrust and, and contracts, but all through the lens of sport. Um, the, the study of sports law specifically is, a lot of people think of it as sort of a, a I don't know, not a real field of study, um, but what it truly is is a study of with a, a specific lens where you view all the same fields of study and the, the same fields of work, but all in the context of sports. Um, so step two was to build the certificate program. Step three was to actually launch a sports law clinic where law students would get the opportunity to get hands-on experience representing sports clients um, in an educational setting. Um, so the first one, the journal, the administration said, go for it. If you need a little bit of money, let us know. If you need a lot of money, let's, let's talk. Um, but we can get a tiny bit of resources to get this going. Um, so we did that. Uh, the, the classes, they allowed me to go out and sort of form a petition where I could come up with some ideas for courses to be offered and get, uh, if I got, I forget what the number was at the time, 
50 students to sign off or, or 15, I don't even remember, to say I'll take this course if it's offered, um, we'll do it. And so I got a couple courses and implemented that way. The clinic, they said, great idea, love to do it. If you can come up with $5 million to endow it, let's go. <laughs> and so we, we tabled that one for a while. Uh, okay. So we'll fast forward. So I, I, I ended up getting some, some classes launched. Uh, we launched the journal. Um, in the meantime, I was going out and networking as much as I could, trying to find as many people in the community who are interested in sports law and might support our efforts as students. Um, in the midst of that, I went to the Sports Lawyers Association annual conference, which rotates around the country. Um, it, it happens somewhere every year. This year, it happened to be in Phoenix, my 2L summer. And so I went, focused on the sort of the, the teaching components of sports law. Um, there was a breakout session led by the, the head of Marquette's sports law program, who's one of the more influential voices in this world, um, a guy named Matt Mitten. And throughout the entire breakout session, I was just, my hand was up the whole time, totally out of character. I'm not usually that gunner who just, you know, dominates course discussions. Um, they kept asking, the guy, what about this? What about this? How can I make this opportunity a reality for, for us? And how do we sort of craft these ideas and recruit top, top flight faculty? And that was, I think, a 40-minute session somewhere around there. And as I'm walking out, I get tapped on the back of the shoulder by a guy who says, hey, you know, I just moved here. Um, I'm an attorney. I'm, I've been working in sports for the past couple decades. I'd love to get involved. How can I help? And we talked for about 30 minutes. Turns out he's an agent. Uh, I'd been in the NFL, uh, been, been an NFL agent for, I think at that time, about 14, 15 years. Um, had a, had a, a decent roster of clients. He had just relocated from Chicago to, to Phoenix, where he brought his entire family to join an agency that was planning to launch a football division. Um, and fairly recently, I didn't know this until later, the partner he had built this division with, with this new agency had been, uh, I guess, a mutual parting of ways. He made a decision that the company wasn't thrilled about, and so they decided to just disappear. So here he was, uprooted. The family had moved all the way, like halfway across the country, and only had one person helping him. So his department was kind of cut in half and needed any help he could get. So 30 minutes in, I talked my way into an internship and just never looked back. Um, so I spent... Uh, almost seven years uh, working in the sports agency world. I interned for him. Um, he was kind enough to give me a, a paying opportunity when I got out of law school. Um, I always kind of roll my eyes at paying because at that time, the, the market for entry level, smaller kind of boutique sports agency coordinators uh, is not on par with what lawyers are supposed to be paid as soon as they get out of the law school and pass the bar. Um, so I was offered a, a meager salary that was able to afford my rent and everything uh, with him. I uh, was there for about two years. The NFL, the, the lockout, the CBA negotiations and the lockout happened right around then. So they froze new agent certifications. I had to wait a while to do that. Um, but worked with him, passed the agent exam the following year. And then both of us left that agency and joined another one based out of Cleveland called Player Trap. Um, at that time, my then boss, who now we were all, I mean, he was still sort of a, a supervisor for me, but we didn't have, the, the agency didn't have like a boss employee structure. Everyone was an, as an agent and just kind of did what you had to do. Um, he moved back to Chicago and I represented our entire West Coast efforts. Um, so did that, realized that it was not for me. Um, that world, it's just, I don't know if it's my personality type or, or whatever it is, the type of hard work I enjoy just didn't really vibe with what it took to secure clients and, um, and build the business that I needed to build. So it did not make me very happy. Um, but fortunately, Arizona State, uh, after my graduation, had continued to build all the sports law opportunities. And so in 2013, two years after my graduation, they announced that not only was Bud Selig, the former commissioner of baseball, joining our faculty, 
um, but they were planning to launch this sports law program officially that I had put so much time into laying the foundation for. And so I walked right up to the dean and said, look, you know, this is, this is awesome. This was my dream. How can I help? And so they brought me on as a consultant to help get it off the ground. Um, as I realized very quickly, I enjoyed doing that a whole lot more than I liked the agent world. Um, and so I shifted my priorities pretty quickly. And, and every few months, I just I took on a bigger and bigger role, uh, eventually becoming director of the Sports Law and Business Program at Arizona State. And so I worked with that for about five years, uh, just shy of five years. Um, sorry, I know I told you this is going to be a long story. No, this is great. No, this is really good. <laughs> Um, because you know we don't only have athletes in here. You know we have so many people mm -hmm. in the you know sports business world. So for them to get your story and understand like what it takes, um, I'm even taking notes down. And you know I had the opportunity to be in one of your your classes, and I remember I was like, wait, who's this professor? Because <laughs> I, I, I need to figure it out. So I I stalked you on LinkedIn, and then you know now we have like a pretty good relationship. So yeah. it's been it's been it's been cool uh, to to hear your story and continue you can go as long as you want we got all the time <laughs> perfect all right well i'll wrap so we can talk about some more interesting stuff so uh took over this role um we had some really really incredible people involved it actually uh one of the things i'm most proud of among all kinds of things with this program i took on pretty much everything that had to do with the sports song business program crossed my desk at some point so whether it was handling admissions fundraising uh, our marketing efforts um, partnerships with sports organizations and the athletic department helping to supervise our faculty, helping to supervise all of our student workers, research assistants and all that, um, helping to strategically build the curriculum. I wasn't the one actually laying out each course's sort of syllabus and, and micromanaging what was being taught, but from a more sort of holistic uh, look, I was helping to build up what the curriculum would look like. Um, we grew from our first year where we were just a master of legal studies with an emphasis in sports on business in year one. By year five, we had seven different degree paths um, and grew from about 23 students from that first class to nearly 400 um, who were at the law school, at least in part because of the sports law offerings, even if they weren't formally enrolled in one of the degree paths that we had. Um, and that includes online. We actually built two online programs as well, one of which I know you're very familiar with. Um, the online program was built for people who were in the sports industry and even professional athletes such as yourself who don't have the luxury to relocate and move to Arizona for a year or two to finish this program, um, but really want to develop some more, um, more skills that, that would help them along in their, their existing careers or people who had jobs and they wanted to make some sort of professional pivot. Um, so we built that out. Um, we built, uh, we actually, right before I left, we launched a, what was called the Veteran Sports on Business Program. So it's an online master's degree specifically for active duty and former military personnel um, who have an interest in transitioning out of the in the sports careers. Um, and that one generated some really cool um, opportunities as well and some really cool partnerships. So we built that, um, loved what I was doing there. Um, eventually, unfortunately, uh, I, I had to make the decision and this was something that in hindsight, I think was very good for, for me professionally. Um, and I think the program itself is in a really good place as a result now too. Um, my wife and I wanted to get closer back onto the East Coast where we're from and, and be closer to family so that we could start raising our kids and, and much closer to their grandparents. So I made that move in June of 2019. Uh, my wife took an assistant athletic director position at UNC Charlotte. And I came here expecting to land something. You know, my, my original goal was to transition into college athletics and, and find myself a position within an athletic department. Um, as I was making the move, I started setting up all sorts of informational interviews and meetings with sports, sports community professionals here in the Charlotte area 
just kind of telling my story and, and learning what they were up to, learning what kind of things the Charlotte community might need. Um, and through that, I ended up getting a bunch of clients um, sort of accidentally uh, who wanted consulting work and had a little bit or had some big needs and a little bit of extra to bring me on. And without even meaning to, I started a consulting company. <laughs> so that's kind of been my, my full-time thing. And that's, um, I've, I've loved it so far. I mean, the, the freedom and flexibility that it offers, I'm, I'm as busy as I've ever been right now, which is a great thing in the current, in the current landscape. Um, but now I don't, you know, I get to go to all of my daughter. I've got a two and a half year old. I get to go to all of her class parties for Valentine's. Oh, nice. and when she gets into sports, I won't miss practices. Um, so I'm really totally in control of that. Not that Arizona State didn't give me incredible flexibility. They were, they were phenomenal, um, especially during our transition out. But it's just been a really empowering move to now have my own consulting group and be able to take on projects that I love and, and create projects um, out of nothing that, that I don't need to go get approval for. Um, it just gives you this sort of, this feeling of accomplishment and achievement to have done this. Um, so on the one hand, I've started a consulting group. I'm focusing a lot on sports, business, and education consulting. Um, I'm not really, I'm not offering legal services despite being, being licensed and recently reactivated with Arizona's uh, state bar. But I do kind of, I'm able to understand some legal issues and point people in the right direction there. So that's a useful sort of side skill to bring to the table. Um, one of the other things though that I've gotten involved with um, beyond my own consulting groups is one of my original consulting clients decided after doing a lot of work together um, that, that we could better serve our mission by becoming a nonprofit. Um, and so I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, but we, once we, uh, once we made the decision to get approved as a, a 501c3 under the IRS, um, I was asked to join that group as a co-founder and a member of the board of directors. Oh, and so that's taken up a lot of my time and focus as well. Um, so long story short, this is, uh, it's been sort of a winding path um, and I've learned a ton. I started out not having a clue where I wanted to be. And I think, to be honest, I still don't really know where I'm going to end up, um, but I have discovered what is rewarding for me and I've learned kind of what my passions are and where the impact that I want to make really rests. And so for that, it's made it a lot more interesting for me to start pursuing different opportunities, knowing what really makes me happy and what motivates me every day. No, that's really cool. And thank you for sharing and getting so you know deep with your story. I think one, a couple of takeaways that I'd like to, you know, point out, especially for, you know, athletes and anyone, you know, go where you wanted, you know, when you reached out to all those schools, the ASU Dean, you know, wrote you a handwritten letter back to you. That shows you that they're going to do whatever it takes to make you feel comfortable that they want you. So whether it's an athlete, you know, instead of going to a D1 school, maybe you go to, you know, like a small school, you know, John Morant went to, you know, a small school and ended up, you know, being able to, uh, go high in the draft. And even though you said sometimes you, you didn't know where you were going, you always, you know, asked the right questions and you always offered help. And that was, that's what led you to your agency. That's what led you to, you know, starting your consultancy group um, out of thin air. And that's what's going to continue to make you successful. So um, you've seen it all, you know, from the agency side, from the education side, where do you see, you know, sports business going, you know, in the, in the next couple of years um, down the line? And that's a, that's a good question. So this, my answer may change here based on the last month or so, this, the, the pandemic and everything being quarantined. I think the sports business is, is rapidly, and I don't know if evolving is the right word, but we're definitely advancing in a direction that I don't think a lot of people expected. Um, there's a lot of programs now that were slowly growing in the background and, and there were rollouts planned across all sorts of different professional sports um, that are now being 
fast-tracked because they are now an absolute necessity, whereas before it was going to be sort of a cool new revenue stream or, or a luxury to fans or, or whatever that may be. It's hard to say though where it's going. I mean, I think I think now proves as much as anything could have the, the the virtual experience and the opportunity to connect with fans at their at home, where they've got the comfort of their own surroundings and they can save a lot of money by not having to worry about parking and concessions and ticket prices. Um, I think most sports organizations are going to be focusing pretty heavily on the at home experience and how they can generate for themselves the same sort of fan affinity, fan engagement, and revenue without bringing people into the actual stadiums. Um, so if I had to guess, I really think there's going to be a big focus on smaller stadiums, focusing on more fan engagement. So if you do have somebody in the building, really giving them a much more intimate experience. Um, but I think it's also, I think it's going to be a big change because there's this, it's not a disconnect. There's a different way of consuming sports at the college and at the professional level. And for some reason in college, and I think part of it's because you just sort of take more you take more ownership and you take more sort of love and passion for the college you attended, I think, than you do for the team that you just sort of grew up around. And that's not, I mean, this is a blanket statement. That's not true for everybody. But it, the passion that you see when you've got 100,000 fans in a stadium screaming for their college, everybody's wearing the same color. Everybody feels ownership of that team because they're paying tuition there and, or they paid tuition there or they donate there. It's just a very different experience. So I think college is always going to rely pretty heavily on the in-person experience. Whereas the professional ranks, especially, you know, when you look at like virtual reality and augmented reality at NBA games where you can put on goggles and sit courtside, like that kind of stuff is going to be really fascinating. I don't think it's ever going to be the norm um, unless, again, like unless a, a virus like this forces everyone to stay at home and then it will be. Um, yeah, I think, I think the at-home experience is going to be the, the heaviest focus. Um, and then the sort of ripple effect of that, the businesses that will come out of that are, are going to be very heavily um, – data and analytics oriented uh, organizations. Uh, thank you. And I got this from you because, you know, it's such a class. So, you know, you mentioned the different key stakeholders, stakeholders in this, you know, your colleges, the media, the, you know, the leagues, uh, different, different entities that are involved, but how will this affect the athletes? Like how can athletes take advantage of um, this evolution that's going on? And athletes, athletes are the, they're the product that everybody cares about um, on an individual level. This is what people are going to see. I mean, you can see it. I think it's most obvious probably in your sport in soccer and in basketball where people will follow their favorite athletes even more so than they will their favorite team. Um, and so that gives you a platform and an opportunity as an athlete to really build your own brand. Um, when you see the people who are getting involved in all sorts of organizations, like the, the players on the Warriors all are, are involved in, Valley and Capital Ventures and, and Angel Investing, and they're doing all kinds of really cool stuff off the court. I think the, the opportunity to build your brand, um, to market yourself on social media, and to really connect with fans on a personal level that was never really available before, um, I think that's the, the best opportunity to take advantage. I think educating yourself, learning how to make your money, make money for itself, as opposed to you just kind of spending and going as you please, I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that athletes can do as well. Um, learn how to be smart with the money that's coming in so that you can, you know, once you've retired, even if you have a career, you should be able to live pretty comfortably off of what you've made uh, if you've made it to the professional rank. So I think that'd be the two biggest things is, is learning how to capture the, the fan engagement that comes through virtual experiences and social media um, and learning how to, to grow generational wealth. I, that, that's where I'd focus. 
Oh, that's perfect. And so you're, I mean, you're big on amateur sports, you're big on education, you've been an agent. Um, recently, actually today, before we spoke, you know, we talked about how the new, um, the high school player, Jalen, uh, he just announced that he's going to go directly to the G League. Um, there's been talks about, you know, now that players are getting in at a younger age, you've seen it from all sides. If you were to create a curriculum for young athletes, you know, we don't have to take accounting one-on-one. We don't have to take uh, climate change 205. Give us like your curriculum for an uh, athlete or a rookie that's going to go to the G League or going to be, you know, a rookie in the NBA, NFL, soccer, it doesn't matter. So it's interesting you asked this. This is one of the projects I'm working on right now for a client that I really, I truly believe pretty strongly. And I'm, so I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to answer this without giving away any of the secret oh, sauce that, that we're working on there. Um, I think that there are some pretty critical things that happen in your life when you're transitioning from, from amateur status and from being a young athlete um, to, to becoming a professional. And I think that the things you really need to focus on first and foremost are, I think that sort of the maturity of it all. Um, you've got to be careful who's around you and who's actually got your best interests at heart. So I think my, my first class would be to narrow your circle and, and make sure that everyone who is communicating with you on a regular basis, make sure the people who are allowed in your home or allowed near your business ventures, whatever that may be, are people who actually want to grow with you and be a part of your life and career for the right reasons. Um, so I think that would be my first, my first lesson. Uh, would be relationships um, and trust and integrity and all the things that come along with that. Next, I think you need to understand what's expected of you. Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of athletes at that level are used to being the best, um, especially if you're gonna be a guy coming straight from high school and able to play for, for half a million in the G League, like you're clearly the best kid on the court just about everywhere you go. So, and you've gotta understand that that may not be the case anymore. And so you need to know what the expectations are not just to be a really good player day in and day out, but to be a professional and to be great. Um, so the work ethic that goes along with that, I think would be the next lesson is, is understanding the expectations of a professional athlete on, their, on the court, on the field, um, and then the expectations off of it. How do you handle yourself? One of the things I've always, I've always thought, um, as my opinion to this has sort of matured, is like him, or, like him or not, LeBron James coming out with the amount of hype that he did, with the amount of pressure that was on him, and to not only reach the levels that people expected him to, but probably exceed them, and to never have a single off-the-court issue, uh, never been arrested, never said the wrong thing. Like, maybe he said things that bother people, but he's never come out and said something uh, scandalous. You know? yeah. It's incredible. I mean, that's, that's almost to come up the way he did and to perform the way he has under the pressure that he has had without making any mistakes that have reached the public eye. And I think he is, uh, he's the poster child of, of what the right way to do it is. Um, now, I never loved, I didn't love what he did with the, the decision, even though yeah. I, I thought that was a little too, too much grandstanding for my personal <laughs> liking, but a lot of people like that. But aside from that, I think that's the, the poster child of how to do this. Um, and he even had people around him from his childhood who are now incredible business people who are changing the entire dynamic of the sports industry through the work that they're doing. Um, so that would be the next things, the, the, understanding the work ethic and the expectations of being a professional athlete on and off your playing field. And then you get into more of the hard skills. And this is your financial management, financial literacy, um, learning, learning the basics of being an adult, which, which are kind of soft and hard school skills. Like how do you buy a house? How do you buy a car? What's the market rate for that type of thing? So you're not getting fleeced by people who know you're coming in with a huge pocketbook. Um, 
so that the basic skills of travel and, and how to be smart about what you do in the off season. Um, entrepreneurship, I think, is one of the biggest things you can learn. If you know how to launch your own brand, start your own business, or at least invest in businesses, um, anything you can do in terms of building up hard skills so that people can't take advantage of you because you have enough knowledge and education to, to sort of see the fox in the hen house before it reaches you, um, that would come next. I think those are probably the most critical things. No, thank you for sharing. I think, you know, what's important to take away is, you know, you're having your sphere of influence, you know, one bad apple can, you know, ruin the whole fruit basket. Mm -hmm. And the way you bring up LeBron is, is interesting because I was at Harvard, I did an executive education course, we did a couple of case studies on it. But the way the more you talk about him, the more I think like you can literally have like a whole syllabus around his, his you know, his career, mm -hmm. like from the decision from him building a team from his entrepreneurship endeavors, from, you know, maximizing you know, his career. So, and then lastly, as you spoke about, um, you know, the, the, the hard skills and it's not necessarily, you know, to, you know, get a degree or anything like that, but to be able to educate yourself. So you ask the right questions and, you know, you're just more informed when you're more informed, you have more control. When you have more control, you make better sound decisions. Yep. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, but before yeah, I let one, you go one point, on, before you go to the next one, the, the one point on degrees, this is another thing that I don't know if it's ironic since I launched or helped to launch and helped to run a degree program. Your degree, for those of you who, whether you're an aspiring professional athlete or not, if you're thinking about college and graduate school, you got to understand that having the degree isn't enough. If you don't represent what that degree says you're supposed to represent, then it doesn't do much for you. It might get you in the door, but if you can't actually come through on, like if I have an MBA, but I have no business skills whatsoever, then my MBA doesn't do anything for me. So make sure you've got the right mentality when you go and pursue things like that, because that is a pretty heavy expenditure. That's a big time commitment. Um, so make sure that if you're coming through a program like that, come out of it owning and understanding and being able to practically apply the lessons that you're supposed to be able to apply because you have that degree. I second that. You had a whole intro section about that specific topic. So uh, <laughs> trust me when I say this, he's not kidding about that. You know, not just the Appreciate paper. That. You know, you got to actually you know, show results and actually got to, you know, put it to good use. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, definitely would like to let you know, or sorry, let you share like where we can find you, um, what you got in the works, uh, any takeaways or any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience and then let you, you know, get back to the good work you're doing in the sports business community. Well, I appreciate that. And first, I just want to, I'll thank you for bringing me on. I think doing with the free athlete in this podcast and everything like you're creating something that a lot of athletes at your stage just don't either have the time or, or don't commit the time to So I, I applaud what you're trying to do. You're making a big difference for people. Um, Thank you so a much. big, a big part of transitioning into professional ranks is trying to find role models and people that you can model your behavior after so that you make sure you don't make the same mistakes everybody else did. And this is, this is learning from history. So you don't repeat the bad parts. Um, so I think you're doing that for people. So I appreciate what you're doing as well. Um, in terms of where to find me, I'm, I'm not particularly active on social media, but I'm on there. Um, I've got you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of those things. I'm, I'm on there. Um, my, my nonprofit, which is called Sports Biz Cares, um, you can find us at sportsbizcamps.com. Um, I do want to take a minute to kind of talk about our mission there because I think especially the people who are listening to this podcast and who run in these circles are, are going to be interested, I hope, in what we're trying to accomplish. So our mission um, and, and the way we're executing it is changing now that we can't do in-person camps, but our mission is to increase social mobility for high school students through education while increasing diversity in the sports industry. And so our sort of target audience, our demographic are 
predominantly uh, minorities and diverse high school kids, including women, um, coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, who most of whom are probably going to be first generation college students if they make it at all. Um, many of whom have not seen role models for success growing into college graduates and growing into careers as opposed to jobs. Um, we're putting a big, big emphasis on rewarding careers so that you can actually love what you do and look forward to, to getting to work every day. Um, the way we're trying to accomplish this is, is multifold as well. So we're trying to provide education, teaching people the soft skills and teaching them that there is actually an opportunity for you, no matter where you came from, to find that success, to find reward in what you do as a, as a professional. Um, so we're doing that. We're trying to remove all both the real and perceived barriers to entering the sports industry. So, you know, one of the stories that one of our advisory board members tells us is that he, he was going on about um, the opportunity to network with sports business professionals and, and how you can take advantage of their kindness and, and sort of paying it forward by giving their time back. And was telling his kids, college kids, um, some who were from lower socioeconomic backgrounds was, look, find somebody, reach out to them, send them an email cold, unsolicited, invite them to a Starbucks, buy their coffee and just talk to them. And we figured that was an easy enough lesson. And one of the kids in his class raised his hands and professor Starbucks. And right at that moment, you're just kind of punched in the face with the reality that, that there's a lot of privilege you don't even realize that you have. And one of those is that there are kids and, and young people out there who didn't grow up in neighborhoods where there's a Starbucks in every corner. And even if they knew how to find one, they don't have a car to get there. They don't have the money to buy you a coffee if you join them there. They don't know how to read the menu well enough to order you and feel comfortable doing it. So they're so intimidated by the thought of going to a coffee shop where no one's gonna look like them or come from their neighborhood, that they won't even try. And so we're trying to break down that perceived barrier of everybody deserves to be able to be wherever they wanna be. Um, so to do that, we're providing the education, we're putting them in front of people who have had success from neighborhoods like theirs um, and trying to sort of change that entire conversation. So we wanna build, build a more qualified pipeline, get people from these neighborhoods on the on-ramp to make it into the sports industry and increase the diversity there. Um, a lot of different, a lot of different things need to happen though. Um, so education is one piece of it. Introduction to professionals is another big piece of it. Finding them mentors is a big piece of it. And then there's a financial barrier as well. Um, if you want to find a job in sports and in a lot of industries, but I think sports is, is sort of prominent. Um, you often have to volunteer. You've got to work unpaid internships or even very low paid internships. And that works if you have a family member who can provide rent money for you or can cover a lot of your expenses while you're working for free. If you don't have that, in order to take that unpaid job, you've got to go take at least one or two other jobs that do pay the bills. And you're also probably paying for your college tuition out of pocket. And it's just, it's an incredible, incredible hurdle to overcome. And so we want to be able to provide scholarships for kids who are coming up in this way, um, make sure that they don't have any real or perceived barriers. So we cover their rent and their expenses while they go off and do unpaid internships. Um, Another big piece of it is not really knowing how to perform, how to behave, how to dress, how to act, how to speak, how to shake hands, how to make all these things that come with the lack and the insecurity of thinking like no one from my neighborhood has made it here, so I'm not going to make it here. No one's going to look like me. Um, and so we want to teach all those skills as well. So part of this scholarship we're trying to offer is once you've covered all of your expenses and you graduate and you're ready to enter the sports industry, you get an additional piece of that scholarship comes to you. It'll help you buy business professional clothing. It'll help you go to professional networking events. It'll help you, you know, if you're, if you grew up in, in Phoenix and your dream is to go work for a talent agency in Los Angeles, 
Um, we'll help you by providing some money to get on the plane, fly out there, put yourself up, help set you up with informational interviews, and hopefully you can land a position um, while you're out there. But again, all of this goes back to trying to trying to break down these real and perceived barriers. And so to do that, originally we were going to put on summer camps all over the country. Um, there were three-day camps that would give people in-person experiences with sports industry professionals, learning opportunities and workshops, um, site visits and facility tours. Now that we can't do anything in person this summer, we're, we're switching over to a totally virtual experience. Um, and so we actually are now on the hunt for people who want to get involved in this, strategic partners who can help us create content, um, professional athletes and influencers who want to be a part of this, who can really help us drive this mission home, uh, this, this message and this mission home. Uh, it takes, it takes a lot of sort of exciting information of, of really influential and engaging people in order to get, you know, a person who's anywhere from 15 to even 25 years old to pay attention online for more than you know, five to 10 minutes. Um, hopefully we've been able to do that <laughs> with this conversation. Oh, for uh, sure. But so to, to get people who can grab their attention and, and really get them to pay attention and, and retain what we're trying to teach them, um, you know, virtual summer camp. Um, that's our goal right now. And so, so that's a, a big piece of what I'm focusing a lot of my time on right now. Um, I've also got a, a startup company that I've been working with called Refuel. Um, this is totally different. Um, there's a lot of benefits to it as well. It's focusing, it's a predictive analytics app um, that'll be available on mobile phones hopefully this year. Um, you can get it on a Garmin device now. Um, but it, it, your specific sort of biometrics um, and helps you to do meal planning and fueling schedules based on your specific workout routines. Um, it was originally designed for endurance athletes and now we're sort of scaling it out to do team sports and individual athletes and even sort of your casual fitness enthusiasts, people who work out three times a week. Um, but the ultimate goal of it is that, you know, you take, you put down what your workouts are going to be for that week, you know, an hour of lifting weights, two hours of riding a bike, um, whatever it is, and then you punch in some other data. And there's an algorithm that has now, it's, it's doing artificial intelligence to figure out exactly what your meals need to look like for the entire week in order to be uh, perfectly fueled for those workouts um, to, to reach whatever your goals may be. And so eventually we want to get partnered up with groups that can actually do meal delivery. So you know, Friday night, you put in your workout regimen for the next week. I'm going to set up. Yep, Monday, all your meals show up on Monday. All you have to do is prepare them um, and eat them at the time that your device beeps and says, all right, you know, 45 minutes before your workout, you need to have X, X number of carbs um, and then let's go. So that's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I had never been in the startup space before. So learning kind of how the venture capital world and, and angel investors and, and accelerators has been a really rewarding experience um, for me and a great learning opportunity as well. So those are the two of the biggest focuses I have right now in addition to the, the core stuff that I was talking about building the curriculum that we just discussed. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, you see why I stalked this guy on LinkedIn? Just amazing <laughs> story. Uh, I, like that story with, you know, Sports Business Cares, like the, the Starbucks story. That's the mm -hmm. type of story you see in a movie and, you know, everyone cries. So we're definitely going to have the information in the show notes. If you guys are inclined, make sure you get in contact. Um, if you guys want to get in contact with me, I'll put you in contact with Sam. Um, just amazing to see that for these kids that, you know, only see sports, can see sports as a vehicle to, you know, to help their communities get out, get out. It's not just athletics, you know, it's not just, you know, playing the sport. There's so many different ways, you know, Stephen A. Smith always talks about how, you know, there may not be a lot of shacks in the world, but there can always be a Stephen A. Smith. And while his story is a little bit different because, you know, he played basketball at the um, um, collegiate level, um, stories like that, if we can get more exposure to that, those types mm -hmm. of stories, it can help 
uh, change the, the landscape of, you know, sports, sports. And as you know, as I know, sports is a global game. So if we can get a diverse community, we're able to, you know, get ideas, you know, create a melting pot and just create more exposure. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'm also interested about refuel. Um, I think, you know, the NFL with all the stuff they're, they're doing around analytics already and tracking sleep, tracking calories, I think that's going to be a game changer. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time. And, um, you know, we look forward to keeping in touch. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.